Thank you for listening to The Real uh, Reality with Dr. Oren Amate. Please check out my website, docamate.com, to find out more about what I do as a psychologist and a university lecturer. Uh, If you haven't already heard the previous podcast with uh, Dr. Jess, please do check it out. Uh, She's back on the show again. Um, It's sexwithdrjess.com. That's D-R-J-E-S-S dot com. And you can find her on Instagram and Twitter under the same name, sexwithdrjess. She is a sex and relationship expert who works all around the world with couples. She's also worked with um, some celebrities and even uh, presidential candidates. Um, she's written four books. She's also been the host of Playboy's TV, uh, Playboy TV's Swing. And she's also a weekly expert on uh, Global TV's The Morning Show. You can see her there on Tuesdays at 8 a.m. And it's a great honor, pre- privilege, pl- and great pleasure to have Dr. Jess on the show again. Thanks, Jess. Hi there. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on again. And um, last time we talked about uh, consensual non-monogamous relationships and today, I'd like to talk about one of the most important things, which is we know the research says or shows that uh, people say that um, sex with somebody that they love, that they're really invested in, is the best kind of sex. Not everybody says that, but you know that's one of the more common themes. And the problem is, how do you maintain the level of interest and curiosity, fun, hotness, heat, you know, with uh, with somebody when you've been with them for many, many years in that loving relationship? And so I was hoping to talk with you today about this because, well, you've written books about um, how to, you know, spice up your relationship and, um, you know, you work with people uh, all over the world. So I would ask you, I mean, it's, it's a very open question, but what do you think is the key to being able to keep the heat in the relationship many years down the road? Well, I love this topic. It's really my specialty is, you know, monogamous relationships in the long term and how you can still want each other love each other, crave each other, and number one, I'll say specifically for your younger listeners, spend more time apart. Hmm. I see with couples in newer relationships that they want to spend every waking moment together. They get married, and they think that that means that they do everything every night, every weekend together, and the reality is you are way more boring than you think. (laughs) You may think that you're so much fun and such a pleasure to be around, but it is not exciting to accompany you to Home Depot on the weekend to buy, I don't know, a venting piece for the dryer. Those are things you need to do separately. So I, I really think it's important to maintain separate lives and then, of course, come back together to cultivate and create a new life between the two of you. But ultimately, you need time apart. Um, so that's for the younger younger listeners. As you get a little bit older and you have kids, what you find, of course, is that you don't have enough time, period. Right. And so every therapist is going to tell you, oh, you need date night. You need date night. No, no, no. You need a night out by yourself, first and foremost. For every date night with your partner, you need a night with your friends or with your sister or brother or your family or by yourself. I don't care where. You need time alone. You cannot make your entire lives revolve around being co-parents. So that's the first thing that we see. And it's interesting because some research was came out, I think, last year around long-distance relationships and how people are often more satisfied uh, and happier and more pleased with their sex lives in long-distance relationships, which is quite interesting. Now, I'm in, I've been married, I've been with my, my partner for 15 years. Right. And I am gone 
almost every single week for work, I fly out someplace. And it's really hard, and honestly, it's not ideal. I wish she was with me more often. But I will say that the time apart has really revolutionized our relationship and I think our individual growth. And, you know, Dr. Amate will be familiar with self-expansion theory, but, you know, this is the idea that the more you help your partner to grow, the happier they are in the relationship. And I see the opposite in so many relationships in which one partner tries to control the growth of the other partner. One partner even tries to influence the way the other one thinks. And uh, you need to be individuals. You'll be happier. It'll be hotter, hotter. And I think it's a lot healthier. Right. And yeah, I mean, because if you've got somebody who's growing with you, I mean, it's, it's a feedback loop. I mean, you grow yourself um, and you're inspired by that person. They motivate you. They, you know, yes. you right. But if you're, as you say, if you're trying to control them or keep them, you know, I, I see a lot of times, and uh, you know, where it's it's really sad, where it's it's often, it's, sometimes it's, it's very obvious. Other times it's more subtle. It's insidious where one partner's own insecurities or lack of ambition or whatever it is. For, you know, ends up causing the other person to just lose that part of themselves, and you know, it's, it's yeah. in our DNA. We're, we're all animals. We're we're supposed to self actualize. We're supposed to grow. Try to challenge ourselves. Step out of our comfort zones. And you know, when you have a partner who's not doing much, it's very easy to just you know you you go you both go to work. You come home. You, you smoke a joint. You watch TV, and you go to bed together. And that's your daily routine. And you're gonna you know you're gonna end up dying on the couch. You know, sixty years later. Absolutely. And what you're saying actually really translates into the bedroom, too. So first, I was saying that you need to spend time apart. But secondly, you need to be unpredictable. If you want to be attractive, you need to be unpredictable. When you first meet someone and you want them and you want to get them naked, you want to get their clothes off, you just can't wait to get your paws, your claws into them. You think that you have butterflies in your stomach, but all you really have is a little bit of fear and anxiety of the unknown. That's what makes this person so exciting. That's what makes them so sexually attractive and enticing. But the reality is, eventually you get to know them. And once right. you get to know them, you don't feel that pain. So right. you need to do things in your own life and with your partner that make you a little bit mysterious, a little bit unpredictable. Yes, I know you need routine, and especially once you have children, you require routine. But you can break those routines in tiny little ways. It can be as simple as, actually, this is really funny. About two months ago, my husband kind of started parting his hair on the other side after 15 years. I think they told them that, hey, if you, you, know, you have to kind of part your hair on both sides or it, it won't grow in properly or something like that. And he doesn't even part it at the front. It's way at the back. I didn't even know what was different about him. I couldn't figure out what it was, but something about him was physically more appealing to me. And it wasn't that he looked better, it was that he looked slightly different in a totally indiscernible way. I couldn't tell, I would have never figured out what it was. But he right. told me that the hairdresser told him to part it on the other side. I mean, it's this tiny, ridiculous little thing, but it piqued my interest because you know what? It is so easy to go into fall into autopilot with your partner. You don't even look at them because you've seen them thousands of times. So change something tiny about the way you look, the way you talk, your habits, your schedule, your lipstick color, your underwear. Any little tiny change is exciting. Right, and and that's something that's so important because in my uh, sex class especially, I talk to people and I have a whole lecture about novelty novelty is stimulating and what you're talking about is you know people habituate to each other they've been with each other the whole time and 
you know, it's funny because people think that, hey, once we move in together, uh, you know, we don't have distance anymore. We can sleep over. We're going to be having sex all the time. Oh, God. <laughs> That's the first illusion I try to get people to, you know, to eradicate. It's like, no, you know, you're going to habituate. You're going to become roommates. And, you know, you don't want to just become roommates. You've got to figure out a way, as you're saying, to, to keep it different. And, and that's why it's so sad that if somebody says to you every single day, I love you, I love you, I love you, it loses its meaning almost. It's almost like, hello. Um, or even if someone says you look great every single day, the sad thing is if a total stranger says the same thing to you because it's novelty, suddenly, oh my God, it means so much. And, you know, that's, but that's a reality, that novelty. Yes, yeah, the element of surprise. Exactly. And, and then, you know, I want to say one quick thing about those compliments. You look good. You look good. Uh-uh-uh. That's like a level one compliment. I tell my, my husband, if, if it's something your mother can say to me, <laughs> that's not flirtatious enough. Like you've got to have, I talk about level one, two, and three compliments. So level one is a pleasantry that you can give to anyone. Level two is the flirtatious one that generally is between you and your partner, depending on the relationship. And then level three is the, the type of flirtation or the type of compliment that really makes you want to sink your teeth into them. So you've got to learn to be good at compliments, at giving them, and taking them. Right. Excellent. Okay. And that's something that, you know, uh, as you're saying, I mean, you can do this at any point in the relationship. You don't do it every single, well, if you do it every single day, again, there's that habituation. It, has to, it can't be predictable. It can't be routine. It has to be different and that's you know it's funny because you're the person a few years ago we, you and i were at um the conference um uh for women um ah, damn it. oh yes the joy of aging thank you joy of aging and i believe that you were saying you said it earlier to, uh, in the podcast saying that you know what everyone talks about date nights but you you know you're talking about having your own alone nights right and i think that's one of the reasons that date nights actually often fail and i talk about this a lot um is that it becomes a routine and instead of becoming something fun and unpredictable it becomes another chore it's like oh god i just had like you know a 12 hour day now i'm running late now i got to meet my partner you know it's got to be whether it's date nights or you know or or compliments or changing things it's just it can't become routine it has to be something fun spontaneous different would i'm assuming you would agree with that Yes, absolutely. We need the variety. And I, I think, I don't know, you see so many people who fall into this rut of really, really loving one another, but not feeling the sexual or passionate attraction. And uh, they feel really guilty about it. They think something's wrong. They internalize it. And uh, ultimately, many of them stop having sex. But I think it's really important that people realize that inevitably, you will not feel the passion that you felt in the beginning, and that's okay. You're perfectly normal. There are these two simplified phases of love, and they are chemical reactions. When you first fall in love, you've got the passion, so it's marked by dopamine and adrenaline and serotonin. But that is really, those chemicals, which are very fun and exciting, right? You can get that, that rush from doing hard drugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is really just, a response to the unknown, right? That isn't because this person is your soulmate. You're not feeling those things because this is the one and only person in the world that you're meant to be with. You're feeling those things because you're nervous, a little bit anxious, and curious. Once you get to know them, of course, that curiosity and the nerves dissipates. And that's actually a really good thing. You transition into that, the, you know, companionate love, love that really is about attachment. And, uh, you know, Dr. Amitay, I think you can attest to this. So many therapists are so focused on fixing 
the companionate side of love. And they say, oh, if you look each other in the eye, if you say I love you, if you do kind things, if you hold their hand, the sex will follow. And you and you and I know that that's not the case. Yes, you need to fix the loving side, the attachment side, of course. But you also need to inject elements into your relationship that boost your adrenaline, serotonin, and dopamine if you want to feel some of that passion. You're not going to come home and tear one another's clothes off like the way you did on your third date or your fifth date or your tenth date whenever you did it for the first time or your wedding night. But if you do things that make your relationship exciting, if you push your comfort zone, if you engage in activities that make you nervous, that make you a little bit anxious together, that's when you will have a reignited spark, reignited passion. I really think that all therapists should have more training in these areas, the separation between passion and companionship. Because, yeah, of course you want the companionship, right? Of course you want to love your partner. Of course you want to like them. Of course you want to take comfort in them and feel, you know, at ease and feel, feel that you're just, you know, you can be yourself with them. Absolutely. But if you want to also have sex with them, <laughs> you have to have some of these nerve-wracking um, excitement chemicals that are related to what you were describing before, Dr. Anate, surprise and novelty and change. Exactly. And what you were talking about, um, you know, I, I talked about this in a previous podcast as that triangular theory of love um, by Robert Sternberg. Uh, and, and you were talking about several of those stages, the third part being the commitment, right? Um, and, and I say that to my patients and students all the time. It's like, yeah, you can't, you got to be realistic. That spark. And you just, you described it perfectly. The chemical, there's a physiological slash chemical reaction that happens that's science you know that's just it's what happens um and it will die down after a while but you can reignite it and that's what we're talking about here um and i say to a lot of couples like you know i I work with them whether it's going like learning dancing together you know because right because that's you know that's novelty for a lot of people it can be embarrassing but it does it's it's a it's an emotion it's a spark um you know i say you know going to going to uh to fetish clubs going like whatever is new what will as you say it'll just get that spark going right and you need to be uncomfortable yes Yes. Right? Because of course you're comfortable with your partner. I could lie in my bed and be comfortable for the rest of my life with my husband, but I wouldn't be excited if that's what we did. You need to push your comfort zone. I have clients who actually, their new, new thing, they, they're out in the Alps, is a hell of skiing. And right. I'm like, no wonder they're so wild about each other because they're getting these crazy adrenaline rushes every weekend. You have to push your comfort zone. Here's That's another mistake we see couples make where they say, oh, no, we're not into that, or that's not our thing. I'm like, I know that's not your thing. That's, why that's the whole point. <laughs> exactly. Right. And um, and what about, I mean, I, I recommend this to so many people as well, um, and part they used to have a, a vested interest in it because my mother opened up Canada's first sex store in 1972, plug for Lovecraft. Um, but, you know, she no longer owns that. But um, I, I always tell couples, you know, find a good, reputable sex store that um, that they're, they're not going to make you feel uncomfortable. I say that's a great place for a date or a great place to explore because, you know, if, if you haven't done that before, you want to talk about un- discomfort, but it's a fun discomfort and you're learning and like it's and and when i used to work at my mom's store just watching couples come in was my favorite thing you know like just seeing how they're you know checking things out and giggling and playing around i think you're really exploring with each other it's fun yeah you know what's funny i was in munich a few weeks ago with my husband and we went into a sex store now of course i'm in sex stores all the time i've written all these books we play with toys i work with 
with a Canadian sex toy company called Levi. But this was brand new for us. And I found that even for us, we were laughing and giggling because some of these things are, are um, beyond our realm, right? Some of the you know heavier fetish stuff we're not into. But we still have fun with it. And I'm, I'm thinking if this works for us, people who are, you know, on me at least, I'm engaging with this material every single day. I have been for, for years now. If it excites me, oh my goodness, it's got to excite everyone. And I don't mean sexually excited. It's not like I walked out wanting to have sex. But I did feel a renewed sense of adventure and playfulness and almost, um, I would say, usefulness with him after that, that um, spontaneous visit to a, to a sex store. And I didn't understand any of the signs or anything because it was all in German. But uh, yeah, it was really fun for us as well. Right, and it's cool, and, and it's not to sound too clinical about it, but I, I say it with people, like, you know, again, we we have all these chemicals inside of us, and so if we can figure out the uh, you know the the formula, so to speak, you know, it, it's not a mystery; it's there, and um, for everyone, it's a little bit different. But if you figure it out; it's not rocket science; it's just science, science, and you know, you can find out what works for the two of you. And again, getting back to science, you're, you're getting that chemical reaction, that spark, that fun. And as you said, you may not feel sexually charged at the time, but if you're charged, and so many people find in their life, when especially when they get older, um, that life just seems boring; it seems dull. You know, especially if they've got a job that's so routine, mm-hmm. right? It's it's even if it's not doing it with your couple, but it's it's encouraging each person. This has been the theme of all my podcasts, basically, which is just trying to find something that makes you want to just do more for yourself and in your life. And hey, with a partner, all the better. But people will find that you get healthier if you feel more, you know, just alive. It will translate into the bedroom or the kitchen or the front yard or wherever it is that you're going <laughs> to, you know, ravage your partner. Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's part of our first world privilege that we, as humans, we want excitement and we want challenge, and we've come that far where we can create challenges that are safe, right? You mentioned going to a fetish club. I think all couples at some point should try to at least talk about and consider going to some sort of a sex club. It doesn't mean that you have to do anything, but I think just the idea of discussing it considering it, planning for it, maybe buying an outfit with the agreement, of course, and this is my rule for the first time, that you won't do anything at all. You just are going to go and maybe have one drink and leave. Just the excitement of it. I'm not saying you're going to be turned on. I'm not saying you're going to run to the car and get it on in the back seat. But I think that the chemicals associated with the nerves, the challenge, the anxiety are good for your, your life in terms of excitement and, and your relationship. And I think that it, what it does, because we've talked about some very concrete advice for keeping things hot in the long term, what, what something like this does is it ignites conversation. And anything that it ignites conversation around sex is good for your relationship. We have evidence showing that talking about sex leads to hotter sex, both in and out of the bedroom. And I think every couple, without exception, should at least sit down over dinner or sit down over lunch or a drink and talk about the three F's in their sex life. Their feelings, their fantasy, and frequency. So feelings, I think it's really important to identify what is the feeling you associate with getting in the mood for sex. So do you need to feel sexy? Do you need to feel desired? Do you need to feel loved? Do you need to feel cherished? We call this your core erotic feeling, and I think it's really important that you identify it 
and then tell your partner this is the feeling because sometimes your partner just doesn't understand it right they're you know reaching around or they're telling you oh you look so sexy or they're saying I love you when really what you need is to your core erotic feeling is to feel challenged right you need to to really identify it for yourself and convey it to your partner so and then frequency is a simple one how often do you want sex if you can't talk about how often you want sex you're probably not going to be satisfied with the sex that you're having. So do you want it once a week, once a month, once a day? You've got to decide what your ideal is. And then also talk about what habits need to change in order for you to actually get to that frequency. Because, of course, yeah, like I, I think I'd like sex. I'd say I'd like it every day. But some things in my life would have to change for that to happen. I'm not going to get it every day. That's the reality. I'm not around. I guess I could have it with myself. Every day. <laughs> but with my partner. Um, but I, I don't want to do the work, right? I, I think I'm a little bit lazy about it. And then fantasy, the third F is, you know, what is the core theme of your fantasy? You don't need to reveal all the details, but you tend to fantasize about sex with, um, you know, a stranger? Do you tend to fantasize about sex that is rougher? Do you tend to fantasize about not even sex, just being wanted, being the seductor, the seductress? Um, What is it you tend to fantasize about? And it's important that you work on that and eventually share it with your partner. And I know it can be very scary, but it's the scary conversations that lead to the passion. Yeah, and that's the part that I would find, um, you know, I, I've worked with people who, like, are so afraid of how is it going to be taken by their partner. So if you say, you know, like, I've got this fantasy of, you know, uh, let's say being with a stranger, and they go, oh, so you're actually looking at other people? I'm not good enough for you? It's like, as soon as you open that door, it's like, you can't close it. So, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who's afraid that their partner is going to take, you know, their open communication the wrong way? Well, I think one of the strongest elements we have in terms of sexual conversations today is the fact that we see lots of sex and relationship scenarios in popular culture. So I think the best way, one of the easiest ways to introduce an idea, a fantasy, a topic to your partner is via pop culture. So use a television episode, a movie, an article you read, a podcast you listen to as the door that opens the conversation and what you can say is oh I read this or I saw that what do you think of that and then you can gauge their interest you can also say tell them how you felt about it of course you can say you know I was surprisingly turned on by that scene in Game of Thrones or I'm I'm with you and I love like a nice polite gentleman type guy but it's kind of weird when I watch Mad Men, the Don Draper bad boy, kind of gets me excited. Could you try, I don't know, saying, whispering this in my ear or something like that? So I think it's baby steps. I don't think you need to reveal every last detail of every intricate fantasy you have. But I do think that if you want to be compatible with your partner, you need to at least communicate the core themes of your fantasies to them otherwise you're not going to get what you want right and and first of all it's it's, a, it's such good advice when you say you know introducing it through something that uh, you can both relate to like a tv show or podcast or something like that um i use that type of relationship those media uh in my therapy all the time i think it's really important people can can 
connect with themselves or see themselves or their own experiences much better through other lenses. Um, and so, you know, A, you're, you're doing it that way. And B, you're giving a context to it because if somebody just comes home, and I say this to my students and patients, if I've just taught them a new technique and they suddenly come home and they do it on their partner, and the partner's like, where the hell did you learn that? <laughs> you know, where like you know they're going to start getting suspicious. So if there's a rationale for for you know talking about this or bringing that in or something like that, it just it lowers the defenses and makes them more receptive to you know this, this broadening of boundaries. So I think it's excellent advice. Um, and you know, I mean, there, unfortunately, there will be some cases. No matter how you present it, some people just are not going to be receptive to anything. And if that's the case, then you have to ask yourself: Am I in the right relationship for myself? Because yeah, and you can't be afraid of upsetting your partner. I mean, you're going to be with this partner for the rest of your life. You're going to upset them. They're going to have moments when they're upset. And if you have a you know healthy relationship, you're going to have to work through it, right? I've said things that have upset my partner. I want to say hundreds of times over the last 15 or 16 years. Um, and you're going to have conflict. You're going to have tension. And working through it is ultimately what solidifies the foundation of your relationship. Avoiding discomfort, avoiding conflict is far more dangerous than engaging with it. Exactly. And when you avoid it and, um, you know, there's this underlying tension, there's resentment, there's hostility, there's things that aren't being addressed. And that's what leads to people, you know, going to bed, not wanting to hug their partner or not wanting to, you know, to grope them in the night, but rather to choke them. (laughs) Right. And that's when the sex. And not in a good way. And not in a good way. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and that's when the sex decreases. And that's when someone interprets that as, oh, you know, uh, he doesn't find me sexy anymore or she's thinking of somebody else whatever i mean it's so easy and you and i have both seen so many times just this downward spiral into into misery and that's really quite frankly when i mean it happens before then as well but a lot of times when people start thinking outside the relationship but again they don't want to leave the relationship there's some kind of comfort in that stability you know in, in this routine and i've got a home and everything but that's when the mind starts really, really wandering and thinking, like, you know what, I deserve to have sex with somebody else. Oh, that bitch, she did this and that. It's only fair that I get to, you know, bang some stranger. And, you know, and then they're, they're, they're wasting all this mental energy. They're directing it elsewhere. And there's nothing wrong with fantasy, um, thinking about those things. But when you're, you're kind of checking out of the relationship and you're becoming more and more distant and those, you know, those, the, the infidelity scenario seems more and more desirable to you, you know what? <laughs> It, it, it's not a way to live. And, and I see that that's the kind of the pattern that a lot of people end up, you know, following and then they end up getting, you know, again, either they actually do end up cheating or that's all they can think about and they're really not invested in trying to fix the relationship in front of them, but they're afraid to leave. So on that happy note, <laughs> on that happy note, um, <laughs> I know you've got to get going. Um, you know, I want to thank you again, Jess, and I want to have you back on again. There's so many topics that you and I can talk about, um, and and you absolutely. bring absolutely anytime. It would be my pleasure. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, and you you just bring so much experience and expertise, fun, and just practical good advice. And I really hope my listeners will uh, check you out again. It's um, sexwithdrjess.com. That's D R J E S S, and check on Instagram and Twitter, Sex with Dr. Jess, and you can find her all over the place, including on Tuesday mornings at eight a.m on the morning show on global tv thank you jess and um yeah, i look forward to next time thank you so much okay bye-bye bye